Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Nine. Twelve. Ten. Twenty-eight. Two. Twenty-three. This is Deep State Radio, coming to you direct from our super-secret studio in the third sub-basement of the Ministry of SNARK in Washington, D.C., and from other undisclosed locations across America and around the world. Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm your host, David Rothkopf, coming to you today from Cambridge, Massachusetts. We're joined today by Katie Barlow, who's media editor for SCOTUS blog and host the new show, The Courts, uh, for Fox 5 DC. Hey, how are you today, Katie? Hi there. Thanks for having me. Great to have you. And also we're joined by our friend Harry Lidman, who's the host of the Great Talking Feds uh, podcast and legal affairs columnist for the LA Times. How are you doing today, Harry? Hanging in there. Thanks, David. Thank you very much for joining us. Uh, I'd like to focus a little bit, not just on uh, this uh, uh, draft Alito decision, although uh, any views you've got on that are, are welcome, but really for what we are learning about where the Supreme Court is headed. Uh, in other words, how uh, does the leak, how does the political divide, how does the language in the Alito draft um, uh, give you any indication about where we're headed? Let me start with you, Katie. Well, I find the, I would say leaks noteworthy. I think we're seeing four, if not five, maybe even six leaks out of the court now around this opinion. And I think that it is reflective of the broader discussion we're having in the country about transparency and access to the head of this third branch of government that we just don't have much of. Um, the American people are learning more and more about the court and the process for confirmation. I think there've been more eyeballs on that process in the last five years uh, than there were in years previous, um, save for except perhaps Justice Thomas's confirmation. Um, and so I think we're headed toward a place and, and have been heading toward a place where there is just much more hunger for understanding um, and, and looking at and, and, and being able to experience the court and its work it, for a long, long time, and it's still the case, uh, and now there's a giant fence around it, um, the average American person would have to pay for an airline flight, a hotel room, and get in line at one o'clock in the morning to watch the justices do the work of the American people. Um, and we're seeing just a broad hunger uh, among the American population to understand and to see the court and its process and one of the processes is draft opinions. And the fact that that got leaked, um, I think reveals, um, you know, that the court is perhaps trending toward, um, you know, more in the future. Huh, interesting. Um, I haven't heard the argument that this leak is a sign of growing transparency in the court. What do you think, Harry? Well, in a sense, it is. They're, you know, transparent as they would be if they came out on the bench and they'd forgotten their robes and they are sort of in their underwear in front of the American people. Look, I, I would make three points. 
First, David, the headline remains in terms of your question, where are we going in the future? The headline remains that five of them were prepared at a minimum to, to vote to provisionally overrule Roe at conference. That uh, predisposition isn't going anywhere, and uh, there will be other cases coming down the pike no matter what happens here. That's first. Second, on the matter of the leaks, I think it's hugely and, and deleteriously transformative of the, the court. That, the court's in tatters now. And as, as Katie says, we're talking about four, five, maybe six leaks, so a kind of a tit for tat on, on leaks. So first, it totally does destroy the mystique, but also it really um, interferes with the normal process of working things out by written draft. Now, going forward, at least in any important case, a justice has to think that whatever she or he puts down on paper could be in the front page of the Washington Post. That's a total game uh, changer. And third, on future cases, they're at pains, Alito's at pains in his opinion, they're at pains generally, I think, to say abortion only, we're, we're separating it out, but there's no way to read the words and reasoning of the opinion. And after all, that's what they do. They don't just, just call balls and strikes. They give reasons and principles. No way to read that opinion without also um, screaming, making it screamingly obvious that other precedents are vulnerable on the reasoning and maybe even on this sort of um, uh, agenda of the justices. We know, for example, that the Obergefell opinion involving same-sex marriage was similarly the uh, object of contempt by Alito, as was Roe. And so the protestations of this will only be abortion are just hard to take too uh, seriously. We need to be worried, especially because the court uh, has to take cases that come its, its way eventually, and it won't just be up to it to say abortion only and close down the, uh, the road. So, Katie, you know, um, you, you do talk about multiple leaks. One of the stories that has broken in the past 24 hours uh, has to do with this being the only draft um, uh, that that is out there, uh, suggests a sense of not yet been written, uh, show, sort of shows where we are in the process. What did that tell you? Well, it's interesting. Um, I, I didn't clerk on the court, so I can't tell you exactly how the timing of drafts goes, but it's interesting that there hasn't been a draft dissent circulated um, and that there haven't been multiple versions of that draft that could indicate that some of the justices, perhaps Chief Justice Roberts thinks um, that he would successfully be able to pull off one of the justices in the majority. And so there's still efforts being made to um, build five votes another way in the court. Um, and, and that could be something that perhaps um, one of the more liberal justices like Justice Kagan is also working on. Um, but it, it just tells us that, um, you know, since February, um, this has been the decision of the court and um, there, all the other inner workings have been done um, in offices or, or during conference and not uh, putting pen to paper. It, that is, um, you know, accurate reporting, which I have no reason to believe that it's not out of Politico. They've done a tremendous job uh, covering what has been a um, not even once a generation first time in the modern Supreme Court era, uh, a league like this. So, Harry, I was talking to somebody who knows something about how the court works and 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 we're sort of getting down into the weeds of it. And uh, this person said to me, you know, Scalia used to have um a pattern of 
having one of his clerks be more liberal. In other words, he was trying to have a kind of a, uh, a you know, range of views there. And that this is no longer the case with anybody. I mean, there are camps, they are uh, 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 represent political points of view. Um, nobody who is a, a conservative would want to serve as a, a clerk for a liberal justice because they probably, it would not help them get a job in the current environment. Um, I'm just wondering how you see this uh, process of polarization. Yeah, the place must be terribly uh, roiled. Uh, Scalia did have that practice. I, I, I clerked for uh, both Marshall and Kennedy at a time when he was there. He did have that practice. He, he actually stopped it. Uh, it came to a point where he stopped hiring the so-called liberal clerk, which always seemed to me like a really fantastic uh, job. But all indications are that the court is in tatters institutionally, especially because it would have been one desperate move had there been the uh, the the mere had there been just the leak of the draft. But we know, again, as Katie says, we're talking about three, four or five Politico reports most recently that nothing else has been circulated. And she's right, by the way, that that's remarkable. And maybe it uh, portends um, a, a kind of back uh, chambers discussion involving Roberts and um, and Kavanaugh. But there would have been one by now, generally. But we know of those leaks, at least all but one are attributed as coming from people close to conservatives. So it does look as if there's a kind of Jets and Sharks dynamic or maybe just uh, conservatives who have really shredded the previous norms, what it means professionally. I was on a podcast the other day and, I, and I'm still a fuddy-duddy from doing these uh, things and, and, and my colleagues you know, who know the court well said, hey, you know, this might lionize, this might get a conservative clerk a cornered office. I don't know. But it means that there's a really royaled uh, atmosphere there. In one of the two uh, terms I clerked, we had a similar atmosphere and it was just bad for the court, bad all around. You want to think of the court as working things out toward a common consensus view by reason and principle. Instead, this looks like a street fight. Yeah, I take it that's Thurgood Marshall, not John Marshall. I'm not that old. I'm getting I'm getting up there, but not John Marshall, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, well, things were back bad then. You know, I uh, John yeah, Marshall. Power, not currency. Is that, that's right. I mean, the sky's been falling for a long time, but man, it looks like it's fallen now. That's right. Yeah. No. No. Def, definitely. Definitely. Okay. John Marshall and his cousin Thomas Jefferson did not get along very well. For more than five years, Deep State Radio has been on top of all of the key foreign policy and national security stories impacting the world. We're grateful to our members who make all of this possible and hope that you will consider supporting our work by becoming a member. Members get access to exclusive bonus content, the opportunity to participate in discussions via our member Slack community, our weekly member briefings, and our DSR daily brief newsletter delivered to your inbox each evening. Members also receive all of our content via private member feed that you can add to your favorite podcast app. And we're not stopping there, as we'll soon be announcing additional programming and content partnerships to make membership an absolute must-have. To become a member, visit bit.ly slash DSR member 
and enter code MAY2022 at checkout to gain access to all of our exclusive benefits for just $5 per month. Thank you for your support. Um, Katie, uh, uh, as Harry mentioned, there is a, you know, there, there's been a sort of parade of folks saying, well, this, you know, this is as far as it goes, you know, it's not, it's not going to go farther than this. Um, of course, there was a parade of folks saying this was established law. Um, and, you know, there are states now that are criminalizing abortion in a whole variety of ways. Uh, and as Harry mentioned, there's Obergefell. There are cases out there about guns and uh, prayer in the schools and other kinds of litmus test issues. Uh, there will be cases out there about gerrymandering, almost certainly. Uh, it looks like the next year uh, could be extremely turbulent. Uh, and if more cases fall in line with this one, a real bright line in the history of the court. Do you agree with that? I think it's fair to be concerned about it. I think uh, dismissals of those concerns outright without actually engaging in the merits of the concern aren't fair. It's interesting, right before we hopped on this, I was going back to the transcript of oral argument from the Hobby Lobby case where the court ruled that you know private companies um, don't have to fund certain um, contraception or, or certain birth control under the Affordable Care Act. And there was a discussion in that case. I remember vividly sitting in the courtroom when it was happening. It was about IUDs. And there were about 2 million women at the time who had IUDs. And there were these questions back and forth between the chief and then Solicitor General Don Verrilli about you know, the belief that IUDs were um, abortifacient or abortion-inducing drugs. And I just, um, I remember being struck by that conversation at the time. Um, and I'm, I'm going back and rereading it now to make sure I have a better understanding about it. But I think we're seeing, um, you know, that type of discussion in state laws that are now wading into beyond abortion regulations, um, contraception and different methods of contraception and not just taking the pill, but perhaps now the most popular contraception in the country, which is, um, I believe, IUDs. Um, so I think it's fair to be concerned about that. All of it stems from the root of substantive due process. I, I'm, I'm sure your listeners have some concept of where that comes from in the, the 14th Amendment and this idea that we have certain liberties in this country that um, the government essentially can't take away, or if they do, they have to go through um, several steps in order to be able to do that. And the United States wrote about those concerns in their, their friend of the court brief to the court. Alito calls them out specifically. Um, he doesn't, he calls out uh, Lawrence v. Texas, which is, um, you know, having the privacy and, and um, decision to engage in sexual intimacy in your home. He calls out Obergefell, as you said, same-sex marriage, and Griswold, uh, right, to, to access and choose contraception for yourself. Um, there are some others who are, and maybe Harry could weigh in on this, who are also concerned about um, loving the Virginia interracial marriage. Um, my understanding is that precedent is, is more held on equal protection than it is substantive due process and the liberty interest there, but I'm curious what Harry thinks. But I think, um, you know, even though Alito says these are not, this is not the issue in this case, this 
decision only addresses abortion, his analysis can be applied to all of them. His analysis is going through um, the laws deeply rooted in the nation's history and tradition that criminalized abortion. And you could do the same, certainly, of same-sex marriage. Um, and, you know, I'm not a historian, but I would imagine there are similar laws on the books about contraception historically as well. So um, I think the, um, the concern is certainly a viable one. Um, yeah, there are also laws on the books about slavery and laws on the books about <laughs> you know, uh, 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 woman's right to vote and so forth. And so, you know, you wonder how far back we go. Katie posed a question there. Harry, do you want to respond to it? Well, just quickly on loving. So she's right. It's made, this is, can you marry someone of another uh, race? Uh, the court did it on, on two grounds and the equal protection ground would stay. But the bigger point here. No state today is going to pass a law that says you can't marry someone of another state. So that of another race. So that won't come up. But a state tomorrow or yesterday will pass something that says life begins at conception. And then what do you do about an IUD, which, in fact, uh, aborts a, uh, a zygote or embryo after conception? What are you going to say? You can say, oh, trust us. But someone can bring that that claim against a, a, a woman who uses it or just who has an early abortion or a miscarriage and begin to be looking into them. That's a really and Obergefell for sure. Somebody a state can say same sex marriage. We don't like it or contraception. The governor was in Mississippi or Alabama who said, uh, I'm not going to rule out going after contraception. These things will happen because you have, you know, not even slavery. Slavery, the fight was, can we contain it? I, I think you have to go to prohibition for a kind of social dispute where a whole side just wanted to wipe it out anywhere and everywhere. You're going to have states uh, who uh, try to go after women who leave their borders to get abortions. Uh, and that that'll be a whole constitutional question. So what we need to distinguish, it's not up to Alito and the four, it's up to society and in particular red states who are strongly anti-abortion. I don't see uh, mixed miscegenation laws, anti-miscegenation laws being an issue, but these other things we're talking about, heck yeah, because if they bring them up, there's a lawsuit and now that's, you know, we're working our way to the Supreme Court and they're gonna have to distinguish in some unprincipled way, at least if the Alito opinion holds, because as Katie says, analytically, it absolutely contains the seeds for striking down these other cases, and it really doesn't contain the seeds for upholding them. So they're, they're you know, uh, have, have given themselves quite a fix to have to work their way out of in subsequent terms. Uh, the Chief Justice has talked a lot, Katie, about his views of the court. He was outraged at the leak, apparently he wrote something to that effect. Uh, he has periodically talked about, um, you know, the court being above politics and so forth. Uh, but if you look at the record of the Roberts court, um, there's a lot to suggest that it has become hyper politicized during that period. How do you think this affects his legacy and do you think it undermines him that it that it seems like he's sort of the odd man out on the right? 
Well, he certainly pushed back on the idea that these leaks would undermine any work of the court. Um, and that's what he appears to be focused on. I also would push back slightly on the notion that the court has become more politicized under Roberts, because I think one of the benefits of the American public being more dialed in on the court and its work um, in the last 20 years, in the last 10 years, in the last five, um, is that they're learning more about the political actors around um, before they get on the court. Um, you know, Chief Justice Roberts worked in the administration before he became a justice. Uh, so did a number of other justices. Justice Kagan worked in the Obama administration. There are political actors on the court before they become justices. Um, and I think if you were to poll lawyers and members of the American public, um, you know, when the court was um, deciding Roe and deciding Miranda in the late 60s and early 70s, you would hear the same response that it was just as politicized then. So I think it would be beneficial to get rid of the notion that the court has all of a sudden become politicized and just be honest about who is on the court, where they come from, and the work that they do, and the impact that it has, and, and just continuing to add transparency to the court and its work, because I don't think that it is it has just all of a sudden become politicized under Chief Justice Roberts. I think it has been um, that way for a long, long time uh, because of the nature of the court and its work. Um, so I, I don't know that any of this, it will certainly impact his legacy. Um, and it'll be interesting to see his ability to build coalitions within the nine um, moving forward because um, as Politico just reported, his efforts to our knowledge to peel off any justices to uphold a 15 week ban, but leave in place a federal right to abortion um, seem fruitless so far. Good points, well made. But Harry, I just wonder, um, do you agree with this thesis that, you know, I mean, the courts have always been roiled by politics periodically, but I also remember over the course of the past several decades, you would occasionally get a Republican president nominating a justice who ended up being somewhat liberal, uh, you know, and vice versa. There were, you know, there you, you, and it, 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 it seemed a little bit less so, but I, may, maybe I have it all wrong. What do you think here? No, I think this is new, David. The, um, you know, I, the, I clerked on a term with a very big abortion case uh, and everybody was, was uh, watching and there were, you know, demonstrations every day. But no, we got the stern lecture from the chief justice, but nobody, nobody would have considered um, leaking. And you're right that the, um, the justices composition has become more um, polarized than, than it was in previous terms. I think it's just also very, very significant that you have this lockstep of five who seem really emboldened to do as they will. That's what really challenges Roberts, who only two terms ago before um, Ginsburg died and Barrett was appointed was being talked about as the most powerful chief justice in you know many, many uh, moons. Uh, so the, the, the combination of the makeup of the court, the sort of young lions uh, feeling their oats, and I think a different sort of culture that extends even down to the clerks. I mean, that we're talking now, not just this one leak, but a cascade of leaks. You know, I feel like an old fart and just, you know, completely blown away every time it happens. I, I wouldn't have 
If I saw that a reporter's number was coming up on my phone, I wouldn't consider answering it. It's, and that all matters for what it feels like inside the institution, even if you are sort of philosophical antagonist. So I think the place has been pretty well blown apart and it affects things you know in the in the daily work up to and including the justice's determination one more thing about what katie said i you know i agree the um uh so far doesn't seem to have, have pulled anyone over and it and i did have the sense when this draft first came out that you know they would have really thought it through and wouldn't be likely to defect nevertheless it's a few months, and I think the most consistent explanation, this is just, you know, tea leaf reading, is that Roberts is sort of working behind the scenes to get a kind of rationale that one or two uh, uh, others would, uh, would join. So it's also news. That is the headline, but the subheadline is, uh, as Politico reported, amazingly enough, nobody uh, uh, yet. They're, they're still they're, they still don't have a majority for the Alito draft, and people are waiting. It's getting pretty late. The whole term's got to be done in six weeks, and they got a couple other cases on their docket. Yeah, I'm. I don't want to get too bogged down in the guesswork. Yeah. We only have a few minutes left here, but I can't help but listen to what you just said and say, Katie. Um, you know, the thesis, you know, one of the thesis out, theses out there is, you know, Roberts was trying to work that and this was leaked to stop that. Um, there's a lot of chicken entrail reading here. Um, I'm, I'm just wondering if any of it has, you know, resonated with you as, as being especially logical. My initial thoughts were um, that it would it is remarkably egotistical to leak anything to intimidate a justice to change their vote or to keep their vote. Um, that seems, Harry can, can weigh in there, but that just seems um, far-fetched to me. But the most recent Politico leak had a nugget in the bottom of it um, that seemed to border on vindictive. It was quoting a an attorney mm. close to the conservative justices who said, something along the lines of, and I'm not, I don't have the article up in front of me, but said something along the lines of Roberts will have to pay the price for his shifting vote on Obamacare. There was some reporting, I believe it was Jan Crawford from CBS after the Obamacare decision came out that Justice Roberts um, was originally with the conservatives to strike down Obamacare and, and changed his vote to uphold it as a tax. And that quote at the end of the Politico article seemed to reinforce the idea that there was a leak to hold the five in the majority. Um, again, it is a baffling concept to um, leak, to pressure the justices to do anything one way or the other. Um, however, you know, if the justices, if this is not the majority decision and they, they do change their votes, one or two of them, it will look like it was because of public pressure to do so. Um, and it will fuel the fire that, you know, the public um, has a role in, in the ultimate decision that the court makes. Um, if they stay the same, then perhaps the leaker will think that that was a successful endeavor if that was their original intent. But that nugget in the, the most recent Politico reporting um, seems to reinforce that theory more to me than I had given it credit before. You know, Harry, um, what Katie's talking about raises uh, an issue that I haven't really thought through. Um, and that is, which I'm sure you have, which is, you know, what if this leak works? 
you know, what if, what if whoever did it gets what they want and other people say, okay, this is how we're doing this now. And will we ever know? And look, I agree that they are big boys and girls and will decide on their own, but how it's going to look is another um, uh, matter all, all together. And it's just once, once the leak has happened, it's sort of, you know, there's almost no, no way of knowing, but here's the thing. I mean, what Katie says in your question gets at the heart of what I object to in the court. I, I, it's not uh, necessarily their integrity, et cetera, but that the clerks and these justices who came of age in this hot house of conservative thought where Roe versus Wade was the number one thing on the hit list are beholden in large part, maybe exclusively, to a movement as a now that movement has certain legal principles etc but the notion that somebody would, would I, I agree by the way st stunning for someone to say the buy he's going to have to pay what's that mean that's thuggish right that's the movement here is going to have its pound of flesh on the chief justice and it's not just the arrogance but the the, the real malice and it comes from I think this sort a, a sort of loyalty that's died in the wool with five of them. I'm not saying they would all be so ruthless, but they they everyone has a kind of died in the wool loyalty to a kind of social silo they're in more than individual principles. Bad for the court, bad for the country, especially when it's a lock uh, majority five that doesn't really even have to respond to criticism on the other side, except as it wants to. It's a bad spot for the court. And this is a, a strong illustration of what happens when, when you're in that position. We got just a couple minutes here. So I'm, this is kind of in the vein of, you know, rapid fire one minute or yeah. minute and a half each. Katie, we know that the court's supposed to wrap by the end of June. Uh, we know that a decision is gonna come out on this, or at least we presume that that'll be seismic. What else do you expect that may be seismic? I wouldn't dismiss the idea that perhaps Chief Justice Roberts is able to build a coalition here, or perhaps there's some sort of agreement that or deal can be that could be struck that that wouldn't directly overturn Roe and the seismic ramifications that would have going into November. Um, you know, as the tiny shred of Roe looms um, and what the court does and what the court has the capacity to do. I think could be seismic for the midterm elections. That's interesting. Harry, what do you think? Uh, this will be story one, two, three, however it breaks, but there's big things coming on the second amendment and free exercise. The next truly seismic thing I think they'll do is affirmative action when they hear the Harvard case in the fall and give a, a um, decision by around this time next year. You mean when they kill it? And they kill that, a is, that is what I mean. And this is this is the you know a bold five, and you know they the last time this came up, it, uh, Justice O'Connor says I expect it to be to end in twenty five years. But imagine imagine the social upheaval that that would portend. But yeah, that that would be the next thing. Well, guys, I really appreciate your taking the time. Um, uh, unbeknownst to our listeners, we started off with a bit of a technical hiccup on our end, and you guys were incredibly patient to deal with it. I'm very grateful for that. Uh, and I'm very grateful, especially grateful that our uh, listeners got to hear from both of you who uh, we have the utmost regard for and really are 
uh, among the very, very best watchers of issues like this that are out there. So, you know, go to SCOTUS blog, go to Talking Feds, go to the LA Times where Harry is writing, go to the show The Courts on Fox 5 DC, follow Katie, follow Harry, uh, and hopefully uh, you'll keep coming back and following us uh, as we stay on this. Uh, in the meantime, take care, everybody. Uh, bye bye.